Hey, Adam. Hi, Mark. Nice to meet you. Yeah, good, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, everything's all sounding clear at the minute. Good, good, good. I just want to say, um, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, it really means a lot. Yeah, no problem at all, mate. Glad to help. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I just, um, I kind of thought I'd start off, like, um, you know, asking about you know, the work you do. Yeah, okay. Um, it's the National Federation for Personal Safety, isn't it? NFPS. Yeah, it's... Sorry? It's NF- NFPS, National Federation for Personal Safety. That's right, yeah. So I, I've seen a lot of your content on um, like LinkedIn, which is like really, really good. Yeah, good stuff. Like, what, what, what is it? Was it um, about? Is it like self defence? Well, the business started years ago with me teaching self defence. That's how it all began, mm. and it's sort of grown from there over the years. We've moved into the arenas of physical restraint. We do handcuff training for trainers, conflict management training. Uh, uh, te- we offer teaching qualifications. And as well as doing all that, we also try and help people that train with us build their business by offering them sort of a coaching and mentoring program. Yeah, nice. It's quite sounds like quite a lot, like lots of different avenues within that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's um, it's just something that grew, and there was, and I know everyone in business says you've got to have a five-year plan, you've got to have this, that, and the other. I did. I never had one of those. Um, we we just sort of grew it as we went along. It was very, very organic the way it grew. Yeah, that, that's probably. Do you think that's a good way, good way to do it? Sometimes just kind of dive, dive into it. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes plans. I mean, planning is a good thing, um, but, but you need a strategy to go with that plan. That's yeah. the most important thing, and you need to know how to action that strategy. So I know lots of people that offer you know off these things on LinkedIn and Facebook and social media. Where they say, look, I've got this blueprint. If you follow this blueprint, it will work. But a blueprint on its own won't get a house built. You know, you, you've got to have a, a strategy as to what bit you're going to do first, who you're going to employ to do what, when each bit needs to be done. And everything has to work in, in a process um, to get the right output. So, you know, that's that's how sort of things would, would, would work for me. But with our business, it was very much I just wanted to follow what I enjoyed doing. Mm. Um, and what I enjoyed doing was helping people. And my way of helping people was to keep them safe. So I was teaching martial arts and self-defense at the time. And then that grew into the business that it is today. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah, it's all good fun. I suppose, like, in that industry, you could work with lots of businesses and, uh, you know, like, uh, I suppose, you know, doorman, door staff could use it, the course, uh, probably, mili- you say, military, do you think, or, like, police? Yeah, we... we... We've trained, I would say, literally everyone in every industry sector. We've trained people who work on the doors. We've trained care staff, healthcare staff, social care staff, teachers. Um, we've trained police officers, prison officers, military personnel, and, and even people who've been in the special forces. And I'm working very closely with a, a couple of ex-special forces guys now. You know, we get on really well and we're sort of developing stuff together on that basis. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think it's... I think it's one of those things that is needed, isn't it? I think, um, especially in today's world and stuff, there's lots of situations people can encounter. And if you know how to deal with that situation, then... Yeah, it's, it, there, there is a lot out there. I mean, you know, I, I walk every day. I, I go out, as, as everyone else does, I presume. And because I'm probably in tune 
more to what I'm uh, I do because of the nature of my business. Yeah. I see I see people walking around with headphones in, you know, drawing money out of a cash point machine with their headphones in, not looking around them, and they're just easy targets. Uh, and that's what a criminal wants is an easy target. So part part of what we do is is not just the physical stuff. It's also teaching people about situational awareness, mm. you know, how to actually plan so they, they can travel safety. That's another aspect of the business we do. Yeah. No, it is, it, I think it is an important fact. And I think a lot of people nowadays are so engrossed in the phones and the, the music they're listening to. And it's so easy just to, you know, probably for someone just to grab something and run off or do something. Oh, no, no problem at all. It's dead easy for a thief these days. Yeah. Well, I was. I've got like a few questions here, um, just to ask for the podcast. Is that okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, far away. Um, one of them I've got is uh, what, what motivates you, or what's a big motivator for you? Big motivator for me is helping people. That that's yeah. always been a driving force, and I think that comes back from when I was in the military. Mm. Uh, I, I joined the Royal Navy at a young age. I was. Uh, a, I say a bit of a rogue before I joined so, so, so the, the Navy uh, was good for me it gave me discipline it gave me self-discipline mm. and I enjoyed the camaraderie you know uh, the thing about the forces when I joined is you never joined for the money because there wasn't any money in it you joined because you wanted a particular lifestyle you wanted to do things yeah. and the camaraderie in the forces was great and when I left um, that's one of the things I missed so as part of the, the business, if you like, if that's the right way of putting it, mm-hmm. um, it was all about helping people. So my business in self-defense, I mean, I was actually working for Apple Computer at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I, I, I blagged my way into that job. Because uh, <laughs> when I left the Navy, I resigned my commission. I became a commissioned officer and I resigned my commission. And I actually walked out of the Navy £4,000 in debt. Yeah. Uh, so... I had to get a, get a job, so I was selling insurance door to door. I was doing all odds and sods, and then I managed to get a job for Apple Computers. I blagged my way into that, um, and I did really well at that one. Wow! And uh, but my passion was, you know, helping people. My passion was martial arts, mm. and people would come up to me and say, "Look, you know, my son's being bullied at school, or I'm scared to go out at night." So I would offer, you know, little self defense sessions for them, you know, free of charge mainly. Mm. And I got, I got involved with local groups, crime prevention panels and those sort of things and work with the police to, to, to run local initiatives in my local area. Uh, and that really sort of started to, to you know, spread, I suppose, you know, get people aware of what I was doing and spread the word about what I was doing. And because you're helping people, it's not like a business. You know, you're, you're, you're doing it because it's fun. So, you know, what motivates me is helping people. Mm. What motivates me in terms of that that ability is the ability to, if you like, turn that into a business. And by doing that, you then have the freedom to live your life on your own terms. And that's a key important thing for me is that I must be able to live life on my terms. Yeah. I think, like, it's really important in what you said in that um, aspect of things and, you know, loving what you do. Um, I suppose if you love what you do, it doesn't really feel like work so much compared to doing, you know, something that you don't really like doing? Oh, I mean, I, I can't imagine. Uh, I really can't. I mean, my, my father gave me a bit of advice. The, it was the only bit of advice he ever gave me before I joined the Navy. Uh, and he said, the minute you stop enjoying it, don't do it. He said, yeah. just do something else. And I've lived by that. And that, that's absolutely been a, a mantra in my life. And it's worked. You mm-hmm. know, it's worked for me. And you, you have to take risks. Um, but, you, you know, if you take a risk, you grow. Yeah. 
No, I completely agree with that. I think I think like you know taking risks is important. I think everyone you know has to do certain jobs and work, but I think um, if you can feel like you can lose zone and grow and push yourself, then yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I couldn't imagine my, me, um, you know, I can't imagine me working in an office doing a nine to five job, but that's me. Yeah. For other people, that may suit them. And if they love doing that, that's exactly what they should do. You know, you, you've got to follow your heart. You've got to follow your passion. You're too long dead. Yeah. No, I completely, completely agree. I mean, I've worked in lots of different hospitality jobs and stuff and, um, you know, very unsociable hours and stuff. And I've just had to, I've, I've done my time in that. I know, mm. I know I'm still young, but I've I've just literally I, I know I've had enough of doing that now, so I've had to find different avenues. I think what you're doing is great, you know, for a young person like yeah. yourself to, to do what you're doing, uh, because it's a learning curve for you, and mm. you know you're you're learning new technology, you're learning new ways of doing things, uh, and that's going to make you grow because you're taking those risks, and that's a really really important thing. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. But I think, um, yeah, I think it is like risk, and I think sometimes you can kind of, I've, I can, I used to be in my comfort zone quite a lot. Um, I think. Sorry, you've you, you broken up a bit there. It's gone a bit underwater. I yeah, can't hear you, I, I said like I've noticed like myself like, you know, I think when I push out my comfort zone and when I do new things that are you know scary or make me feel uncomfortable and. You know how you, how you feel afterwards. You know when you grow through that, and it kind of makes you want to do more of that in some way. I think once you got get that uh, taste for it, I think. Yeah, you know, and and the fear is only something that exists before you do something, and that's anticipate is anticipatory fear. Mm. No, normally, when you're doing it, there's no fear. So fear is something that you build up in your own mind. Yeah, it's, it's a, <laughs> can be a lot bigger in in your head than when you actually do it. You're like, oh, what's all that about? Oh, absolutely. Do you do you get um a lot of people who do the course who uh I suppose they must feel some sense of that, you know, when they go into your course. What fear? Yeah. Um I suppose it's like excitement as well, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think because of the way we, we structured out uh, our approach to, to working with people now is you know, when I, when I started, you basically, you booked on a course and you turned up and you didn't know what was going to happen and who you were going to meet. So there was, a, you know, there was a degree of fear, anticipation, if you like. But we, we you know, we recognize that in people now. So we we do a lot of lot of stuff with them beforehand. I put out lots of stuff on social media so they get to know me. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm contactable virtually 24-7 with people. You know, they can drop me a message, drop me a text. And with virtually mo- all of our courses... We, we speak to virtually everyone before they book on. It's very rarely someone will book on a course without having had a conversation with me. And all of that's there and it's all available to take away that fear. You know, it's like when we started teaching self-defense years ago, uh, one of the things we learned was that the, the people coming on the courses, they, they, they were great. They can do all the physical stuff, the, the technical stuff, they learn the skills, mm. that's no problem. But their fear, their underlying fear was, am I legally allowed to use this? Yeah. So that that's why we went in and we we invested a lot of time and a lot of money in understanding what the law said specifically in relation to reasonable force, 
Mm. So as part of our course, we provide all this legal training and lots of other stuff as well mm. to, to give them this additional confidence because there's no point teaching someone something if they fear using it. It's a, it's a completely wasted piece of, piece of effort. Yeah, I, I think that, that was pretty important as well, especially within the law and all of that side of things. Because I, I, um, I've met some people who have, I think, been ex forces or they've undertaken you know, certain courses like similar courses to yours and they're like they're like oh i can't use it and i'm like what do you mean you can't use it you know because they they said they could you know hurt someone or damage someone somewhere yeah it comes back to education and it comes back to knowledge um, i mean and going back to the forces I think it's a Bryce Norton. I can't remember now because it's been a long time since I've been yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's where the, they have the parachute school and there's a, a, a big sign on the wall, or at least it used to be there, and it says, knowledge dispels fear. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you're going to jump out of an aircraft, that's pretty scary. You know? So if you've got the knowledge in your kit, you, you've got the confidence in your training, yeah. you know, that will take away the fear. Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong, you know, it's scary jumping out of an aircraft. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But you prepare as best you can, mm. and then you put your then you put your faith in your kit, and you put your faith in your training, mm. and you you surrender yourself, and you you take that leap of faith. Yeah, that's it. I mean, um, I remember when I was I I was I was going to join the military at one stage. Um, I did public services at uh, college. Right. So my tutors were in the signals uh, for many okay. years, mm-hmm. and uh, we did look at life courses with uh, the infantry. And they basically just thrash you for a week or two. They basically thrash you. They were like beasters. They beasters. Oh, right. Physically making oh. us run around. Yeah, yeah. They they yeah. said. Uh, I remember one guy saying, "Preparing, failing to prepare is preparing to fail," or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. always kind of stuck with me. Yeah, and it's it's true for being in the forces. It is for being in business. You know, mm. it's exactly the same thing. I mean, and I, I'm, I'm a firm believer, you know, another thing I'm passionate about, going back to what motivates me, is I believe that everyone should have a business, uh, even if it's a part-time business. If they have a full-time job, they should have a part-time business. Yeah. And there's loads, loads of reasons why. And, and one of them is you've only got to turn the news on every day and you hear about people being laid off, um, people losing their jobs just before Christmas. Whereas if you've got that lifeboat, you know, and it could be a cleaning company, it could be doing some stuff part-time. It could be running self-defense classes like I started off doing part-time. Yeah. It, may, it may be just blogging and monetizing your blog. Yeah. But, you know, that there is going to prepare them uh, if, if something goes wrong, if their employer lays them off, for example. Yeah. So, you know, and it's all about taking a risk, but it's all about education and, and knowledge. And, you know, nowadays with technology, I mean, we're, I'm talking to you on an iPhone, yeah. and there, there is more memory there's more power in this phone than i'm talking to you on than it was on the first lunar module that landed on the moon (laughs) and and people say i can't do stuff uh, because they they believe they've got this story in their head that they can't do it probably because they've been told they couldn't do it by their parents or and probably well-meaning parents as well they want to try and protect them from failure Mm. Uh, but probably you know they'd be told they couldn't do it or teachers maybe told them they didn't have the ability to do it or they wouldn't amount to much i mean that's very much my story Mm. and um so they don't try, you know, but if they educate themselves in the things that matter to them, that's going to give them the output they want, then that knowledge will take away the fear. Yeah. Yeah, of course. No, that's really, really true. Mm, good. I think, 
Look, we've done, we, we talk about business as well. Um, like a side business, you can turn that kind of part-time business into a full-time business, can't you, over time? You know, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's exactly what I did. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I worked for Apple Computers. When, when I left Naves, I told you I worked for Apple Computers. I actually did quite well. I was, I was a second-half-pay <laughs> computer consultant in the UK at one, one time. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was, doing, I was doing a third of the company's turnover. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I did really well. And But then I thought, you know, pretty mistakenly that because I was a good salesperson, I'd be a good businessman. And there's two different things. Mm-hmm. So, so I bought a small gym in Sheen, in Richmond in Sheen. Yeah. And I realized that I wasn't a very good businessman because within a very short period of time, I got, got myself and my family 80,000 pounds in debt. Jesus. You know, so I was good at making money and I was good at losing money, you know, but I had no strategy and no consistency in anything I was doing. Yeah. Because I, you know, I, I didn't plan. I didn't have the knowledge. So I, I got a job then as a prison officer. Mm. And I joined the prison service, mm. and it was and that was a, a lucky break for me to, to get that job, and I was very grateful for it. Mm. Uh, but while I was at prison service college, I, I had no money, so I couldn't afford to even go down the bar for a drink. So I used to sit in my room and I used to study. Mm. And one of the guys on that course, and I hope he listens to this because I need to thank him for it. A guy called Colin. He gave, he gave me a set of Tony Robbins tapes, and they were cassette tapes in there. They said, I don't know if you know what a cassette tape is, do you, Adam? Yeah, yeah. Just, just about, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, you know, and, and he said, look, mate, he said, I bought these. He said, he said I, I've listened to them. He said, they're a bit happy-clappy for me, but if you want them, you can have them. So I said, yeah, I had nothing to do. So I, I put my, my, the tapes on in my little walk, Sony Walkman player and listened to them, and there was something in it. And I thought, you know, if what this guy is saying is right, if there, if there is an element of truth in this, then basically, whether I succeed or whether I fail, that's down to me. So mm. I started applying myself mentally. And this is a really important thing for any of your listeners. You can have all the technical skill in the world. You can be the best martial artist. You can be the best engineer. You can be the best mechanic. But if your psychology isn't right, you won't succeed. Because 80% of success is down to the way you think. And that's what those tapes taught me. And I started to practice it. Now, I was £80,000 in debt, remember, at the time. I had a prison service salary coming in, which wasn't a lot. Um, but within a relatively short period of time, we cleared that debt. And the business started to grow because I started to apply the thinking in the right way. And that transformed the business. And that's what put me on a, a bit of a mission then to learn more about how the mind works and then I got involved with things like NLP and hypnosis and I read everything and I bought, I must have spent thousands of pounds on audio tapes. Mm. Um, but the, the net investment in that gave me a much bigger return. Mm. That's crazy. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, but the point is, if I can do it, you know, you've got to look back at my life. I was... Uh, I was, when I joined the Navy, I was, I was a 16-year-old. I left school at 15. I was a 16-year-old lad when I joined the Navy with no qualifications whatsoever, mm. who was a, a bit of a rogue. And if, if I, I sincerely think if I didn't join the forces, I'd have ended up in prison. So mm. if I can do it, you know, if, if I can do it with my lack of education, anyone can do it. Mm. You've just got to apply yourself and believe in yourself. Mm. No, that's, that's really... Um... Really, really motivating and um, inspiring to like, you know, listen to that. Um, yeah. Because I think there are a lot of people out there who it's easy to, to fall into that victim card, they play that victim card. And, um, you know, once someone says, 
I can't do it or I'm not good at this because of X, Y, Z. It's, you know, kind of, it's hard to get out of that tangle. But if you can see your situation and kind of say, you know, how you, how you, how you think that it's something I can do about the situation and fix it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you've got no control over your environment. You've got no control over over a situation. You've got no control over what may be happening around you. But you have absolute 100% control over the way that you choose to think, mm-hmm. frame, and perceive that. Mm-hmm. If you And if you give that away, then you've given away everything. Because mm-hmm. our, our minds, I think they said, like, our minds are more powerful than all these supercomputers and stuff like that they're still figuring out things about how the brain works oh it's massive uh, the amount the amount of electricity we generate in our brain is is huge i mean i can't remember the figure but funnily enough i, I did a i did a video on tiktok about it the other day uh, yeah. but the figure's gone out of my head but it's 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 amazing the capacity we have to to produce energy and power within ourselves yeah it is it is really amazing and i think if um you can tune in to how your mind works, like your thoughts and I think your energy and take control of it rather than I think your emotions and things take control of you. So I think sometimes yeah, yeah, you... Go on. I think sometimes like with like, you know, sometimes you can get overwhelmed with emotion and it's like kind of channeling that and not letting your kind of emotions override you. And that takes training. Yeah, you know, it takes knowledge and application of knowledge through training, and mm-hmm. you can you can control it, you know, because if you can't control your emotions, then your emotions are controlling you, mm-hmm. and all it takes then is for someone to press the right button to trigger the right emotion, and you're working on autopilot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard it for years. You know, I mean, I'm 59 years old. I'm 60 this year, mm-hmm. and I've I've heard it for years. People saying it's just the way I am, but the interesting thing with that is is, you know, we have a body that's made up of organs that are in turn made up of cells, approximately 60 trillion, I think they are in our cells. Jesus Christ. Yeah, each one of those cells are doing 6 trillion things a second. Those things are made up of atoms. 99.99% of an atom is energy. But the interesting thing is, is 98% of the atoms in your body weren't there 12 months ago. Jesus. So, so every time every time you breathe in, you ingest new atoms. Every time you breathe out, you exhale them. Every time you take a drink of water or, or a bite of food, you ingest new atoms. And every time you go to the toilet, you get rid of them. Mm. So fundamentally, we're only ever 12 months old. Yeah. Because we, our bodies are renewing and our minds are renewing all the time. But what locks people in is the way they choose to think. Yeah. So, so it's like having a computer. The analogy I use is that you can have a, you can have a computer that computer might be brand new. It might be two years old. But if you haven't updated the software and you put that software in there that's 30 years old, it's not going to function. And we've got people there whose cells and atoms and their whole body and their mind is being rejuvenated every 12 months. But their thinking is locked in a 30, 40-year-old pattern because someone told them 20, 30, 40 years ago that they'd never amount to anything. So they reprogram the new stuff with old thinking. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating how we work. <laughs> how we, oh yeah. When you think of it like that, because, I mean that's that's kind of that sounds like in a simple way, but you think people put it, but pe- put it in a simple form like that, but people don't act on it. If you know what I mean, something. It's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. 
yeah, this should be taught in schools. Yeah. Kids need to know this stuff, you know. Uh, because we, we've, got, we've got apathy happening in schools at the moment. Children have been told, work hard, study, get good qualifications, get a job. So they work hard, they study, they get their qualifications, they can't get a job. Yeah. And if they go, they go back and tell the other kids at school, it doesn't work, it's a broken system. Mm. And you know, it's, uh, you know, schools are a great educational resource, mm. but we're locked into an old system where they're teaching stuff that kids don't need to know. You know, I mean, I've, I've never used algebra. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't don't see the purpose of it. You know, but trigonometry. I mean, it's probably good if you're going to go into engineering. But children need to learn fat, practical stuff. They need to understand how to run a business. They need to understand how their mind works. They need to understand how to use their resources to be self-sufficient, to give them the freedom they want out of life, and, yeah. and then they can actually unleash that potential. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think it is important that you know. I think schools need to kind of have something in place or look at the system and try and refresh it in some new way. Mm. So I think like, I think you, I think I've learned more since I've left school and having life experiences and working, um, you know, I've kind of, you learn more going out into the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, when I was a child, we didn't have computers. There was no internet. That's taking you back. I bet you can't remember those days. You know, but there, there, you know, there were no mobile phones. So if you wanted to phone someone, you had to go in a phone box and put money into a slot and dial the number. Um, so you were out all the time. You know, mm. you, you were out playing all the time. Mm. Uh, so you used your imagination a lot more than I think, sadly, children are using it now because they're stuck in front of PlayStation and Xboxes or whatever they're called these days. Yeah. Uh, and it's 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 it isolates them and i know they can play these games with friends of people around the world but they're becoming isolated in their thinking mm. and that's a that's a really dangerous thing you know and if they don't get out and broaden their thinking they they're, they're going to be stuck in a, yeah. in a playstation mentality where which is not a real world so people need to get out of their comfort zone they need to go out there they need to take risks particularly children mm. Mm. I mean, you know, we, uh, I was talking to someone the other day, uh, a fr- fr- friend of mine, and he was he does mental health awareness stuff, and I, I don't I don't do that, so mm. I'm not, not I'm not liberty to sort of comment whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. But um, he was telling me that he said that he, he he's really concerned because at school sports days now they don't have winners. Apparently, no one no one loses. Everyone gets a medal. They're all a winner. Right. So how how are you meant to to teach people that it's okay to fail? Yeah, I, I've heard about that. Like, um, I heard um, I was listening to like Joe Rogan podcast, and he was talking about it. And he said there's like ribbons for like fifteenth place or something like that. And he's yeah. like, how how is that how is that possible? Because it's like if you go into like a job or the world and you know you, you fail, you don't get the job. There's no here's here's an eighth place medal, you know, like yeah. a rock medal, and you you it's know crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy because if you look at evolution, you know, us as a species and any species on the planet, including nature, everything evolves through trial and error. Nothing nothing evolves because everything's equal. Mm. Everything evolves through trial and error. So the very words trial and error means you've got to try things and you've got to fail. Yeah. And when you fail, that's the time that you review what you do and you do it differently. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, if you, if you think about it, you know, what you just said about the Joe Rogan podcast and ribbons for 15th place, 
if I was selling a product, doesn't matter what the project is, a, a widget for argument's sake, and I went to a major retailer or, or, or big industry and said, Look, I want you to buy this. It's the 15th best thing in the world. It's the 15th best widget of its sort, of its kind. There's 14 better than this, and there's one that's the top, you know, the best one ever. But, I've, you know, I've got an award because it's 15th. They're not going to buy it. <laughs> Why would they? So I don't think I don't think it's healthy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is crazy. Oh, it's like, yeah, I think that the thing is people need to fail. And I think it, failure is a, there's a guy I listened to, I can't remember who it was, and he said that failure is an important part of success anyway. So Absolutely. With You can't have failure without success. You have to kind of taste that and to, to have that success and review stuff. All, all of every, everything I've got is built on failure. Mm. Everything. You know, I, I failed at school. I could have done a lot better. I, mm. I didn't. I failed at school. Uh, I joined the Navy. Mm. I, I did okay. I, did I fail exams? Yeah. Did I fail certain things? Yeah. Mm. Did I get in trouble? Yeah. You know, um, but it was okay because it helped you grow. Mm. You know, um, when I left the Navy, I was, I was my last role in the Navy was flying. I was air crew. And I, 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 was, I was put through to be a pilot. And I was useless, absolutely useless, because I didn't want to be a pilot in the first place, if the, you know, that was the honest truth of it. Yeah. Um, so I failed because my heart wasn't in it. And it, eventually I decided to leave the Navy and I could have stayed in for, for a pension and everything else, but I decided to leave the Navy and walk out. So I failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came outside, I sold insurance for a year mm-hmm. and then I got a job at Apple Computers and I left Apple Computers mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. And I lost eighty thousand pounds in, in, in a business project, so I failed. Mm-hmm. But all of those failures have helped me inoculate myself against the worry of failing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I do stuff, if, if I decide to launch a new product or you know do a new course or put, have a new business venture with someone, you know I don't bank on certainty mm-hmm. because the the only thing certain about certainty is is it might fail. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I, and when I was doing, you know, one of the things you said you want to talk about was NLP. Yeah. When I was doing stuff with NLP, and I, st- I still do stuff with it, but, but not as much as I used to, I would be able to fix people and help people that other people couldn't do. Mm. And, it, and one of the reasons I could do that was something I learned from Richard Bandler, which is a really brilliant thing he taught me. Mm. He said, don't promise them anything. He said, if they say, can you help me? Just say, I don't know. Let's find out. Mm. And there was a case of a young man who was suicidal. He was going to commit suicide because he mm. couldn't go out of the house. Mm. And he, they got him some guy from Harley Street to come down. The family didn't weren't rich. The family were, were not rich people, but they paid for this guy from Harley Street to came to come down. And he was apparently the best at what he did and everything else. He did NLP and hypnosis, and he couldn't help him. So this guy's response to that was, "Your son has." larger problems than I've ever come across before. There's probably no one that could help him. Mm. And this lad was on the route to suicide. So they got a counsellor in, a female counsellor. She was the best at what she did. She went there and she couldn't fix him. She couldn't help him. So she said, well, there's more, more that's wrong with him than I've ever seen before. It's nothing I've come across. And because she couldn't admit that she didn't, she couldn't do the job. So she said, there's nothing, no one can help him. So they rang me in desperation. So they said, can you help him? I said, I don't know. I said, we'll go find out. So I went to see him. And 
what Bandler taught me was a really interesting thing. He said, never worry about process, only focus on the outcome. Mm. So I said to this young man, I said, how will you know when you're better? And he pointed his car outside the window and he said, if I could be sat in that car with my feet on the pedals and my hands on the steering wheel, I'll know that I'm fixed. So he told me he had the solution in his head. Mm. So I said, have you been hypnotized before? He went, yeah. I said, can I hypnotize you? He said, yeah. So I hypnotized him and I walked him out to his car under hypnosis and I sat him in the driver's seat and put his feet on the pedals and the hands on the steering wheel. And then I got in the passenger door and I woke him up. Now in his mind, he had the solution. Mm. So he was fixed. And he went out for, for a drive. That's the first time he'd been out of his house in almost 18 months. My God. All right. The process doesn't matter. You know, having letters after your name to prove that you can work a process doesn't matter. If you can't get the outcome, it's worthless. Mm. Helping people by getting the outcome they want is the key to everything. And that's the same in business as it is in therapy, as it is in life coaching, whatever it is. If you, if we, if we want to help someone, find out what they, what they need and find out what they want and then get them there. And it doesn't matter how you do it. Mm. That's, that's amazing. I mean, I think well, that's... I, I, Apply the same thing in business. You know, I, I get people ring me up, organizations ring me up, and they say, we've got a problem. I say, okay, tell me, what, tell me what the solution is. And they go, well, let me tell you about the problem. So no, no, tell me what solution you want, and I'll get that solution for you. Because they know what the solution is. They know what they want. They've just been indoctrinated to thinking they can't get it. So 90% of my time is saying, well, if that's the solution you want, I can, I can, I can provide that for you. Mm -hmm. you know? it's, it's providing them almost with, that bridge, isn't it, to kind of walk across saying? Well, let's go, go back to the, the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. You know about the 80-20 rule? I'm pretty sure you do. I, I've, you heard, I've heard of it, but um, I haven't right. looked over it in a while. Well, it's a social economic rule, the Pareto principle. It's the 80-20 rule. So 80% of business, for example, come from 20% of your customer base. 80% of accidents on the road, apparently, is due to 20% of drivers, 80%. Of, of divorces come from 20% of married couples because people get divorced more than once. It's, it's an amazing thing. And don't quote me on, on the divorce thing. I'm not 100% sure, but yeah. I've heard that statistic. But uh, I apply that, that Pareto principle in our, in our business. And when I go to meetings, for example, I, I was engaged by a local authority some years ago on a productivity issue. And they said, we're not getting the productivity we want. So I said, okay, I'll come in. Let me sit in your meetings for a week. And after the second meeting, I knew exactly what the problem was. They spend 80% of their meeting talking about the problem. Mm. And then they're rushing in the last 20% to try and arrange the next meeting to talk about the problem and assign things to people to do to try and figure out what to do with the problem. So I said, we're not going to do these meetings like this anymore. I said, you, the first 10% of the meeting is you're going to discuss the problem. You're going to identify what the problem is. 80% of the meeting, you're going to find solutions to the problem. And the final 10% of the meeting, you're going to action those solutions into action points for people to actually go away and do. Productivity went up by 80% within the space of, of months mm. by not focusing on the problem, but by focusing on solutions. Mm. Yeah. And this is what I try and teach people that, that we train. is if, you, if you've got an idea of what you want to be, what you want to do, then focus on the solution to get you there because everyone else will give you the problem. Mm. And all that time and all that energy and all that thought is going into whatever you're fueling it into, isn't it? Like the thought, like the problems. You know, you, you see the problem, you know, if your energy's going there, then 
that's where it's going to go. Of course it is, yeah. And you find more problems. You know, it's, it's the old adage, you know, what you focus on, you get more of. Uh, so people focus on problems and then they get more problems because the, the part of your brain called the reticular activating system, yeah. that, act, that acts like a guided missile. And whatever you focus on, it goes to find evidence to make it happen. Mm. So if you're thinking, I'm going to have a bad day, you're going to have a bad day. Mm. You know, the, the brain is processing billions, I think billions of bits of information per second, mm. but can only actually function on 2,000. So mm-hmm. I think it's I think the the, the the amount of information we process is four hundred billion bits of information per second. Jesus Christ! But we but we can actually only be aware of two thousand. Now two thousand out of four hundred billion is one thousandth of a millionth of a percent. Yeah. So there's all of this thing available to you, but we're only focusing on one thousandth of a millionth of a percent of what we're looking for to justify the way we feel. It's like walking into a sweet shop. A sweet shop having 400 billion jars of sweets, but the, <laughs> but the only one that's illuminated is the one sweet on the counter. So that's all you see. So that's the one you go for because you don't see everything else. Mm. The minute you shift your focus of attention and you and everyone has the power to do this, mm. you shift your focus of attention into what you want. Then you start to see different sweets in the sweet shop. If that makes sense. Yeah. And more things come because it's, I mean, I know people who maybe listen to watch that film, The Secret. And it's a great film, you know, no, no two ways about that. But just thinking, you know, just visualizing you're going to get a million pounds in your bank isn't going to happen. But if you visualize on the fact you're going to be successful, what happens is, is the opportunities for you to actually take advantage of that will make you successful, that will put the money in the bank will, will come into being. Mm. And that's what we need to do. Yeah, I think that's what people need to do more of. And I think it's it's manifesting and seeing themselves in the situation in the future and uh, believing that they can get there and kind of generating those feelings of what it would be like and to take an action to then lead to that. Yeah. I, I, I kind of did that with when I was learning to drive. I mean, I found it really, really hard. Um, I failed three times. It took me months to pass. And I remember just, you know, visualizing myself driving and kind of imagining how it would feel to feel confident at driving and to be driving, and I think that helped a great deal. Absolutely, it's got to. It's, it's got to, isn't it? You know, it, it's. I, I use the analogy when I'm training people. I said, look, on, on your, in one hand, you've got a beautiful strawberry flan or a chocolate cake, whatever you like. On the other hand, you've got a plate of warm dog mess. <laughs> Which one do you want to hit yourself in the face with? <laughs> and they all go, well, it's a no-brainer. I'll, I'll choose the beautiful strawberry flan. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But if you listen to the language they use when they're talking, it tells you what they're hitting themselves in the face with. Yeah. Because they say, oh, I've had a you know, bad day, I've had this day or that day or whatever. And the narrative they use describes what's on the plate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is it is fascinating how like your thoughts can influence like you know, create your whole life, even though we don't manage people don't you know manage you know it's hard to manage your force isn't it i mean you know so yeah quick keep keep telling yourself that and it will be yeah it's not it's not hard it just takes practice it takes knowledge you know the brain's a muscle like any other muscle in your body your mind's a muscle you know if you put the right stuff in you get the right stuff out if you put rubbish in you get rubbish out Mm. and you know i mean i i I, on my table, on my desk in front of me now, I've got three books that I'm reading at this current moment in time. Mm. They're, they're all inspirational books. They're all educational books. They're going to teach me stuff. 
I read about three books a week. Uh, you know, what's the option? I can sit in front of the telly and watch EastEnders and Coronation Street and all the other stuff out there, which you know shows people what what drama there is in their lives and how bad life is. And you can mm. you can watch the news and get depressed. I mean, I haven't even seen the news for the last few days. I tend not to watch it, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. You know, I, I focus on what I want to feed my brain. Yeah. Now, you, you wouldn't feed a child asbestos. <laughs> you, you got you, you got to no, yeah. <laughs> lock you up. But what you feed that child in their brain can be as damaging as asbestos if you're giving that child the wrong information because you can teach that child to fail and that narrative is what they then repeat in their life because someone told it to them. You know? mm. it's, it, it, so you've got to give your brain the right stuff. Good stuff in, good stuff out. Bad stuff in, bad stuff out. Mm. So it's a choice and people need to learn to choose. And this goes back to one of the things about taking a risk. Mm. You know? I mean, I, I don't hang around with negative people. No. I just don't do it. I'll walk away from a conversation, uh, and I, you know, it, to the point that it's, it may seem rude, but I'm not—I don't want people shoving that stuff down my throat, you know, and being toxifying. Because the interesting thing with this is, is it's not just about positivity and how you can achieve stuff. There's a health aspect to this as well, because the hypothalamus in your brain is the largest drug pharmaceutical company in the world, and when you have a good thought, that hypothalamus produces a chemical, yeah something that's really good, something positive, a nutrient. And that yeah. chemical goes to every one of the 60,000 cells in your body and it neutrifies it. It gives yeah. it good stuff. Yeah. When you have a bad thought, the hypothalamus produces a toxin. And that toxin goes to every one of the 60,000 cells in your body. It toxifies it. Yeah. So if I, if I told a joke now, let's say I, I did, uh, and I'm renowned for non-politically correct jokes. So I tell a non-politically correct joke now. 50% of your audience may burst out laughing because they find it funny. Mm. Their brains will produce chemicals conducive with the fact that they're having a good experience. They'll produce good brain juice. The people who are offended by it will actually be angry and their brains, their hypothalamus, will produce toxins which will toxify their bodies. Mm. Here's the thing. The joke doesn't matter. Your perception of what you're allowing it to do, the, the choice decision you make in how, how you interpret that joke decides whether you actually neutrify or toxify your own body. I can't reach inside someone's head and make that happen. They have to do that themselves. That's the power they have, and that's also their curse. Mm. So the easiest way to kill someone is to just keep annoying them. (laughs) 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 No, that's... But you can can see, like... Like you said, what you said by people interpreting things. Like if you you, know, you, are, you are annoying someone, like it's how they're interpreting whatever you're doing, isn't it? It's yeah, yeah. based on that. Absolutely, you know. And you know, you're taking away choice. You know, if if you if you're allowing yourself to get emotionally hijacked by what someone else is saying, you've just given up the absolute freedom you have. Yeah, it's a lot of power you give away, isn't it? it's everything you know and i see it you see it all the time you see it on social media you know someone posts something on social media and then you get a whole thread of people moaning and grumbling and complaining and everything else and you think you know what it's you're killing yourselves you're Mm. absolutely killing yourselves yeah i i rarely i spend a lot of time on facebook and social media i mean I, i go on facebook for like a couple of minutes i skim through and i'm signed out i can't i can't um 
sit there and get involved in certain things that I see. I just think, like you said, it's negative and it's your time, isn't it? And it's far better yeah. things which you could be doing. But use it, you could use it productively, you know, put out things there that add value to people's lives. Mm. Teach them something, you know, give them the knowledge, help help educate them, push point them in the right direction. That's one thing that you can use social media for. I mean, social media has many benefits. Mm. You know, if you if you don't get up in the key, get caught up in the keyboard warrior type affair, uh, you know, it's because it gives you a reach now that we've never, ever had before on the planet. You know, we can we can link up with people that we haven't seen for years. There's elderly people living alone who now have a network of people they can talk to. It's a phenomenal thing. You know, mm. it's absolutely unbelievable what it can do. Mm. But if you get caught up in the negativity aspect of it, then that's really harmful. That, that, has, that has no pro- productivity whatsoever. Yeah, I think, I think some people unaware, can be unaware of it sometimes as well. They get sucked into it. Yeah, and it's just it's crazy. I mean, you know, it's to, to the extent that people rely on it, you know, there was a, a girl of a course I had to tell her to put her phone away. She was consistently looking at her Instagram profile. Um, and I said, look, you're here to learn. You have to put your phone away, I'm afraid. And you could see that it was really hard for her. She put it in her bag and turned it off. And every break, the first thing that came out was her phone. And she was checking her Instagram profile, checking her Instagram profile. And, but, and at one point, she, she actually got visibly upset by something she saw on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this is how it can emotionally hijack you. And that's when the social media takes control of you. So you can use it and you can control it or it can control you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I watched, re- have you heard of a guy called Simon Sinek? Yeah, yeah, Simon Sinek, good stuff. He's really good. And he, he talked about uh, millennials, like my, my generation, um, mm. and social media and he talked about like phones and he, uh, he was giving this talk and he had a phone in his hand and as he was talking, he had the phone in his hand and he was like, how important do you feel now? And he put the phone away and he was talking and no, that was it. He said, how, how are you feeling today or something like that? Um, and he had the phone in his hand and then he put his phone away and he's like, how are you feeling today? Then he said, it's completely different. It gives you a subconscious kind of message that the phone is more important just by having it in my, in my hand. Right. Yeah. Now, Simon Sinek produces a lot of good stuff based on some good, you know, peer reviews and, and evidential research. But it's, again, it's, a, you know, a phone is a tool. Mm. That's all it is. You know, if it becomes a crutch, then we have a problem. Yeah. Because I, I went to McDonald's the other day and I sat, not, not, best place to go and eat health wise but um I, I went to my donald's and i sat down inside and there's a little son and they've got tablets now in my tablets, and she sat on the other side of the table and she twisted the tablet around to a little boy and then she went on a phone and he was just playing this game whilst i was talking and i was like that was bad i was like yeah and, and, well, it's not good, you know, because what are you doing? You're just letting your kids play or watch a screen and play a, a game while they stuff their face full of food they're not aware of. Mm. You know, they don't even, they're not even aware that of, the, of the taste because they're so ingrained in what they're watching. Yeah. And, yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's good marketing. It's, it's good business from McDonald's point of view because they know what kids want. Kids mm-hmm. now have TV dinners or PlayStation dinners where they eat in front of their PlayStation and eat in their room alone. Mm. do their homework with um, 
what's that Google thing, that Chrome thing with the old Siri? They, you know, they, they're uh, it by Siri. Yeah, so like, uh, Alexa if, and stuff. Yeah, that sort of stuff. So McDonald's has obviously capitalized on that. And the you know, kids probably want to go to McDonald's because they know they're not going to be away from their tablet at home. Mm. So from a business point of view, it's great. I just, I, I just don't agree with it uh, on, on many levels. Mm. I think it, it, it's that balance, isn't it? I mean, I, I play video games. I've got a PlayStation. But I feel much more aware of my time now if I use it. Like, yeah. Whereas when I was little, yeah, I'd probably be on it all day. <laughs> well, yeah, it, you know, it's. It, it, I, I've, you know, when my son was younger, he had, we had PlayStation, and I, I, I played the odd game. And I've got to be honest with you, I wasn't into that sort of thing. I'm still not into that sort of thing, because when I look at uh, again, and see the thing with with, with someone at my age. Which you youngsters need to, we probably do understand it, but you won't appreciate it until you're old. It is that time is the only non non recyclable resource you've got. Yeah. Yeah. You can't recycle time. You know, you can make money, but you can't buy time. So I look at stuff and go, right, is it worth my time to do that? And what's it going to give me? What's the benefit of me doing that? So if if I if there's something I tell you that, that I don't feel is a benefit to me, I'm not going to watch it. I'd rather read a book. You know, I'd rather listen to a podcast. I'd, I'd rather watch a TED talk or do something that's going to broaden my mind, teach me something, you know, give me something to learn, give me something that's going to give me value, not only at a mental level, but also at a physical level. Because if I'm enjoying it, I'm producing the right chemicals in my brain. Uh, I, I don't want to watch two people on EastEnders having a row about who parked <laughs> in the wrong freaking car park, you know, or something like that. Or, you know, it, it just, it's, not, it's not functional. It's not healthy. It, get, it serves no purpose. Mm-hmm. But but what people do, I mean, there's a lot of research that was done years ago about mirror neuron research. And when people are brought into something to the extent that they're highly focused, they adopt the characteristics neurologically of the person that's actually behaving in front of them. So, so that they can take on those behaviors at a subconscious level, which means they're not aware uh, of, of what they're actually being taught, even though they don't realize they've been taught it. That's insane. Yeah, absolutely mad. So I, I don't watch this stuff. You know, it's just not, it's not healthy. It's not, it's not good. It's like your, your vibe attracts your tribe, isn't it? I mean, that's like... So what, sorry, you broke up a little bit. The quote that I like, and it's like your vibe attracts your tribe. And, um, oh, yeah. You kind of become who you surround yourself with and or what you focus on, you know, the things that you focus on TV, you know, you're, like I said, you know, become... Become that if you watch enough of it, you know, only about thinking. Well, it's it, you've got to, you know, it goes back to this whole purpose about choice and decision. You have to decide what you want to do with your life mm. because you know you're not going to get the time back once once you've spent that time or invested that time. And there's two ways of looking at it: you either spend or you invest. Mm. Uh, and it's the same in business and it's the same in relationships. You know, if if the time is not invested, and what I mean by investing is is, is what you invest your time in is going to be a benefit to you, your partner, your business, your family, whatever. If you're spending time doing something, that's that's a waste. It's just, mm. you know, use, use money, money as an analogy. Mm. If I invest money in a business venture, so I invest £1,000 and I get £2,000 back, that's a good return on investment. Mm. If I spend £1,000 on a pair of shoes, those shoes are going to wear out sometime or another. Yeah? Mm. So I've got to spend another £1,000 on a pair of shoes. So... You know why would I why would I spend the money? Why don't I invest in something? 
And I can't remember who it was. I think it was uh, um, Tony Robbins said, said uh, some years ago. I may not be Tony, but you know, forgive me if it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but he said, that, you know, if you're going to buy your kid a bike, buy him two. Give him one for him to ride and one for him to rent. Yeah. Yeah. Teach him to become self-sufficient. Yeah. I don't think that's something that's really taught, is it? I mean, I, I listen to that uh, Gary V quite a lot, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, yeah. And he said something like, people don't promote saving money. People don't, it's all about spend, spend, I bought this. People, it's not something you really hear of. Like you said, your friends don't go, oh, I saved £300 last, last week. I, you know, he said it's more, oh, I bought these new cool trainers, I got this new car, I got these new jeans. Mm. Yeah, and you know, what does it give you apart from a bit of satisfaction? Mm. You know, because if they think that's going to make them happy, and I'm I'm pretty sure Gary Vee talks about this, but buying stuff doesn't make you happy. Mm. It gives you it gives you pleasure, yeah, uh, and and all you're doing is that pleasure becomes addictive. Yeah. So so you need more of it. So if it, when, when the pleasure gene it, the pleasure yeah. high runs out sorry you've got to go and buy something else to make it give you that little bit of pleasure mm. but happiness exists independent of pleasure and yeah. happiness is about what you do with your life and, and the relationships you have you know i mean one of the things about the business the reason i started the business or one of the reasons was uh, when i was a prison officer i wanted to move out of london i didn't want my children growing up in london but our children were very young then so I, I asked for a posting on the South Coast mm. and I couldn't get it because obviously everyone wants to be on the South Coast. So I started to realise that the the prison or being a prison officer restricted me in terms of my time mm. and my geography. So it, it controlled the hours I worked and it, and it basically dictated where I had to live. By starting a business, uh, I, I now have the freedom to use my time as I see fit and hopefully I use it as productively as I can, mm. but it also gives, gives me the freedom to live where I want to live. Mm. So, we, you know, once we started the business, we moved out of London onto the South Coast. And if we wanted to move again, we'd, we'd, we'd move again, you know, um, because we've got that freedom. And this is, you know, going back to what you're talking about, what motivates me, mm. having the freedom to give, to be able to support my family and give them a lifestyle that I, I, I can give them mm. um, by having my own business and using that business to help other people it's great, you know. Mm. I mean, I, I spent time on. I spent about an hour on the phone last night with a gentleman in France who rang me up and wanted some advice. Um, and I spoke to him for about an hour. And next thing, he's booked on a course, you know. And now I wasn't expecting him to book on a course. That wasn't the intention of the call. He just wanted some advice. Um, and going back to basics, you know, if you talk about business and you talk about relationships or you talk about anything in life, people, if they relate to you. They, they're going to want to talk to you more. If, if it's in business, they relate to you and they like you. They're, they're going to buy. They're going to buy your stuff. I mean, Frank Kern. Have you heard of Frank Kern? Do you know Frank Kern? Never heard of Frank Kern. No. Frank Kern's one of the most successful internet um, selling marketing guys ever. You know, he was trained by Dan Kennedy, who's probably the most renowned and most successful internet marketing guy in the world. Frank does extraordinary things, but he says, "Look," he said, "people are trying to sell stuff." He said, "But before you can even get to the point where you're exchanging whatever you've got for money." They got to know you. They got to like you. They got to trust you. Yeah. And if you don't, if you don't have those three components in that order, you'll never sell anything. And everyone, you know, or, or not everyone, but a lot of lot of people, particularly when they start off in business on on the internet, break those rules. They'll yeah. put up something and go, 
I've got this great course or I've got this great thing. It's so much a place. Do you want it? Now, unless you particularly need that thing at that moment in time, you're not going to buy it. Mm. But if you help people and educate them and, you know, give them the information they want and add value, mm. they'll come back to you because they'll want to reciprocate that. They may yeah. not come back to you straight away. They might buy it straight away, but they'll certainly come back to you because you're the go-to person to go to if they've got a problem. Mm. And it's what, you know, and this isn't anything new. This is what your grandparents did. Mm. You know, when you had a problem, you talked to your grandparents, they gave you the answer. You know, your granddad probably down the pub was the person that all the youngsters spoke to because they, they, they give them advice. So this is not new stuff. This, this is embedded in our psychology as a human, as a human being. It is, it is fascinating. And, you know, all the, all the points you've just raised there and spoken about are all, you know, really, you know, important. And it's, it's so true in what you said. Um, I was just thinking about, like, what you're talking about, the sales that Frank like, you know, I can trust somebody. Um, I was on the phone to a... I was, I was redoing my car insurance yesterday on the phone. Mm-hmm. I was talking to this guy... And the way he was talking, you know, how he sounded, um, he said to me, oh, see me as your friend. And I'm like, I've, I've just spoken to him. You're not my friend. He said, you can, you can crack a joke with me, I'm your friend. And um, I was like, what's this guy on about? And um, I just didn't trust him because he kept asking me questions that they should already have on their system. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was like... You talk to me in a certain way. I've spent five minutes, and I was—I just ended up putting the phone down after ten minutes. I was like, oh, "I'll go with someone else that you know I trust." Yeah. Well, you know what you do next time. Next time we ask you to be his friend, ask him to lend you a tenner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See how friendly he is then. Yeah. yeah. But no, it's—you it's, know—if you're going back to sales, you know, uh, we're going back to breaking the rules of selling by people on the internet. I mean, if if you went into a, an electrical shop to buy a toaster, for example, for your mm. house. If you walked in there and and you said to the you were approached by someone who can I help you, you say, Yeah, I'm looking for a toaster, they went, Yeah, buy this one. You go, No, I want to have a look around. They go, No, no, buy this one. This is this is you want a toaster, there's a toaster, buy it. You'd walk yeah. out of the shop. You know, you want someone to come up to you and, and offer some good service and say, What are you looking for? I'm looking for a toaster, right? There's a whole load of toasters over there. Do you want me to show you around or do you help you want to have a browse and come back to me with some questions? <laughs> Most people want to have a look around, they don't want to commit straight away. You know. But what what do people do on the internet? They post something up and say, Buy it. Yeah. yeah, and that's a hard sell, you know. So you you've got to offer value first. You've got to build a relationship with people, and and that's that's been going on for thousands of years. There's nothing new there. Um, it's just people think that if the internet is is some different medium, you know, it's a different medium, but they can sell differently on there, and they can't. They've got to mm. use the same same process. Yeah, it's getting that rapport, isn't it? It's getting that rapport with somebody and being on that same wavelength, and. Um... I think if you're you're getting that rapport with somebody and they like you, um, you'll be able to like say sell to them. Um I I I go on topic but you know, where I go to get my haircut, I drive about half an hour to forty minutes to town to get my haircut. But like I said, I you know, they know me, you know, I like them, they're, they're nice people and they talk to me and it makes me more, you know, feel like I wanna go there and I'll and I'll buy this the, the hair product there and I'll have my hair cut whereas if some places I go to they don't talk they just want you in and out they don't really make that much of an effort you, you don't feel like going back do you it's, and that's well, kind yeah. of like shops and anywhere well th- think about what you just said you know you, you go there because you like the people 
Mm. Right? People buy from people. And even if you're dealing with companies, it's the same thing. People buy from people. And you've got to have the relationship to make that happen. You know? mm. And if people don't validate that relationship, then you're not going to exchange your hard-earned cash for whatever they've got to offer. No, so you've, you've got to have a relationship with it. I mean, you, you mentioned Simon Sinek earlier on. You know, he, he does a wonderful talk about what's your why. And, and he makes a very valid point is that people don't buy what you do. And they're not yeah. really buying how you do it. They're buying why you do it. They're interested in why you do what you do. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, you know, I learned this years ago because people, going back to self-defense, if you like, people would ring up and they'd want to know how I got started. They wanted yeah. to know my story. So I would tell them, I would say, this is how it started. And I found that people could relate to that because they were in the same position at that point in their life that I was in when I first started. Mm. And, and by doing that, they understood why I did what I did. And then when they realized that their why was similar to my why, they'd come and train with us. They would invest their time and their money in coming and train with us. Mm. So that's a really important thing, you know, is, is understanding why we do things. You know, and pe people in the main want to know why you do what you do, uh, not necessarily how you do it or what you do. So in the self-defense world, for example, you know, you can, you can come up with as many techniques as you like. That's just what, that's just what you do. You can come up with interesting ways of teaching them. That's just how you do that. That won't generate sales in the main. It won't generate big sales. If they understand why you do that and what motivates you and, and you know, what your passion is. And if, if that it has a synergy with them, if that links with them, that's when you, you, they'll come to, come to train with you. That's when they'll, they'll actually say, yeah, you know, I want to invest my time and money with you because there's a relationship there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I think that's quite important because I think, like, um, that's, I think that's why I, I like to watch some of the people that I follow because you can relate to them. You can, like, yeah, you know, they, they, they Sorry, you, you, I can't hear you, Adam. You've gone underwater, mate. Oh, is it working now? It's better now, yeah. Thank you. So, uh, connections in the uh, great. Right. Um, but yeah, it's like you know, some of the people I follow and watch, you know, you can see they've come from hard times and stuff, and it's quite motivating. Yeah, because you know, hard times is, is the best education in the world. Mm. You take the most precious gem on the planet, a diamond. Mm. You know, how's a diamond? How's a diamond made? It spends thousands of years underground being crushed to bits by heavier stuff all around it and it gets compressed and it's that compression that turns it into a gem. Now, when, yeah. you, when you pull that thing out of the ground, it's a rough diamond. It looks nothing like a diamond. So what you have to do is you have to polish it and you have to mm -hmm. shape it and you, and you have to make it into something that looks beautiful. Yeah. So you can take someone that's had a really hard time. They probably had the best education in the world because they're resilient now. If they've survived that, they're resilient. They're inoculated against it. You can polish that person, you can mentor them through knowledge and education and turn that person into being the, the number one diamond in what they do in their industry. Mm. So that, that, there's nothing wrong with that. And if people think that having a hard time is failure, it's not. It's the best education in the world. Mm. Mm. And when people say, you know, they say, oh, I'm, in a, I'm in a really bad place, I can't cope. At that moment, they are coping. They must be coping because they're there to say they cope. They can't cope. Mm. I think that's that's why, like you know, like the military is excellent for people who have had sometimes hard times, or they're you know being in the wrong, you know, being people who've been in prison probably, you know, and they're going to the military. Like 
when I did some while look at live courses with some lads who, you know, were being in youth offenders and being bad places and then they're joining the military and you just saw them completely change. And it's like, you know, sharpening a pencil. They went in there like this blunt pencil and they came they came out like um, you know, a sharpened pencil. Um yeah, and you know, and people. It's interesting because people think that when you do that, when you decide to join the military or, or whatever it is, you know, they think you're being brave. They think you're being courageous. You're actually not. You're probably at the most vulnerable point in your life because you're opening yourself up to something that you you don't know what's going to happen. You know, I I can remember at 16 years old, leaving my home and standing on the railway platform to get the train to go to Plymouth to start my basic training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I told my family not to come because if they were there, I probably wouldn't have got on the train. Mm. And the train arrived and the doors opened and I was one step away from not doing it. And I got on that train and I was petrified. Absolutely. And now, you know, I said to you, I was a bit of a rogue as a kid. You know, I, had, uh, uh, I, I could handle myself. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but now I'm vulnerable. I'm going somewhere where I don't know what's going to happen. And I got off the train at Plymouth and we were taken to the, the basic training camp, HMS Rally, with loads of other people I'd never met before in my life uh, and they didn't like me so the first thing you do you put your defences up you start eyeballing everyone to see you know which one is, is probably going to be the threat yeah. it's a natural thing to do uh, and then you're put in a room with 20 to 30 other people overnight that you've mm. never met before you don't know whether they're going to stab you in the eye or anything mm. you know? um, so you're worried and you're vulnerable and then you, you're taken out on the playground and it's probably different now but in my day, you got shouted and bawled at. You were given punishment drills and all sorts of stuff. And you think, I'm here voluntary. Yeah. Um, but that's, that vulnerability is, is the other side of courage. Mm. Yeah. So vulnerability and courage are the same thing. Mm. They're not two different things. And when soldiers stand up in battle, they're vulnerable. Mm. You know, when they're taking incoming fire, they're vulnerable. And people give, give people medals for, for courage. It's the vulnerability that enables them to have the courage to do what they're going to do. And you do the same thing in life, you know, like with you starting your business. Mm. You're vulnerable. You, mm-hmm. you probably have some people who don't like what you do and will send you nasty messages on Facebook or whatever. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, don't worry about it. You know, don't, don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about any, Don't give a jot about what anyone thinks about you. Mm. Only take feedback from the people you respect. And there's too many people out there worrying about what some person has said. I mean, I, I had a guy on TikTok the other day, funnily enough. Um, I started using TikTok. TikTok and I, yeah, yeah, mate, <laughs> mate, I'll tell you what, I thought I'd give this a go. So I got on there and I, I put, I've got 10,500 followers already. It's pretty, pretty good. Um, but some guy, I put a video up, some, some guy commented on it and he, he said, oh, I don't believe you. And it's, you know, it's rubbish. So I looked at his profile and... You know, he wasn't in the best of health. He didn't look in the best of health. He looked very unfit. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I just messaged him back and went, listen, thanks for your comment. I said, and I, can, I can totally appreciate where you're coming from because you've eaten far too many McDonald's. Yeah. And, and left it at that. I've never heard from him <laughs> again. I, I don't know who he is, but I thought, well, if you're going to snipe at me, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a little bit back. But yeah. I, I, I did it, in a, for me, I wasn't doing it out of hate. I was actually having a bit of fun. So I wasn't yeah. angry with myself for doing it. But what people do is they, they, they'll get sniped at and it will make them angry. And when it makes them angry, they're, they're, off, they're off balance they're in their mind and they're producing bad stuff. So, you know, you're going to be vulnerable. You're starting, you've got a business, a young man, you're going to be vulnerable. Mm. That's courage. That's total courage to do it. And everyone out there should make themselves vulnerable more often. 
you know, in, in relationships, you know, if, when you meet someone for the first time and you, you fall in love, mm. that's a moment of vulnerability because someone's got to say, I love you first. And then you, you risk the chance of rejection. That's courage. Mm. To make yourself that vulnerable is courageous. You know, so but, but people now they think, oh, do you know, it's, it's something wrong with me because I walk into a room of people and I've got anxiety. What do you mean you've got anxiety? Well, you know, I, I need to get some counselling because when I walk into a room of people, I always feel anxious. Mm. That's just nerves. You know, I, I still get nervous. I, I do public speaking. I spoke to over 30,000 people on various things. Mm. I can still walk into a room of 12 people and get nervous because I don't know them. But that's yeah. not anxiety. That's just nerves. So mm. what do you do? You learn how to deal with it. Mm. And you, you cope with it and you inoculate yourself against it by doing it more and more and more. And you build up resistance to it. And that makes you better at what you do. Mm. No, I, completely, I completely agree with what you just mentioned and talked about. Yeah. Um, especially uh, what, like with the, the people like the, the guy you mentioned on like TikTok and stuff like like I said you're going to get people who are negative and it's important to try not to worry about what other people think um, and I think it can stop you and prevent you from doing stuff I think if you if you uh, put your energy and focus into that yeah, I mean, it's a, don't put you don't never waste time. Time, as I've said already, it, it's it's a non-recyclable resource. You're not going to get it back. Don't waste time dealing with the naysayers. Stuff mm. them. You know, I mean, Gary V is is absolutely spot on with what he says about them. You know, he, and it, and the language he uses is is absolutely correct as well. Don't feed it. You know, because you're you're fueling a fire because they're they're sat behind a keyboard somewhere and they're untouchable. So we think. You know, so and and by the way, if you if you Google most people, if you do an internet search of most people or look at their social profiles for the people who are sniping at people or leaving negative comments and negative feedback for people, they most of them, in the main, aren't running a business. Mm. They're not doing anything productive with their lives, so their their purpose is to snipe at people that do. And this goes back right at the beginning, where if that makes you doubt yourself then someone you don't know, who you shouldn't be giving any interest into whatsoever, mm. is affecting your ability to lead your life on your terms. They're taking right. away your choice and taking away your freedom. No one's allowed to do that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, okay. You know, if, if I got a letter through... Think about this. You're, you're, you're sat in your office now, or you're mm -hmm. at home. If you got a letter through the door, and that letter came through the door, and you opened the letter, and someone said... Uh, I, I, I saw you, I listened to your podcast or I saw your video, I don't like it, it's rubbish what would you do with it? what would I do with that, that message? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think if I opened a letter and it said that I I feel probably a bit negative but, but then after I think probably a few minutes I'd be like, shrug off and go, it's their problem it's not mine if if I got that, it'd go straight in the bin. Yeah. Right. Billy Connolly. You were heard of Billy Connolly, yeah? Yeah, yeah, the uh, comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Billy Connolly was on a on a show. I think it was the Michael Parkinson show, and they had two business consultants on the show, as I recall, many many years ago. And business consultants were saying that when someone complains about you, uh, if you can turn that objection around and make it into a positive thing, you'll have a customer for life. And that is true, you know, because some people yeah. they might ring you up with objection, etc. So in business, that's true. But they asked Billy Connolly, they said, do you get many people complaining about you? He said, loads. 
He said, what do you do about it? He said, nothing. <laughs> they went, but Billy, you know, if they've complained about you, um, if you could turn that round, you'd have, you know, fans for life. Mm. But why don't you do something about it? And Billy Connolly said, as I recall, he said, because they're stupid. And these two business guys went, what do you mean? He said, well, think about it. He said, everyone that complains about me is someone who's seen me on the television, not someone that's come to one of my live shows. Because yeah. if they're coming to a live show, they know what I'm about. He said, so all the complaints I get are from someone who's watched something on television. He said, and they probably sat there in their living room with the television on. He said, with loads of TV channels, and they put it on the channel that I'm on, and they go, oh, that bloke Connolly's on there again. Look, come and have a look who's on here. And they get their partner and their, their wife yeah. or whatever sit next to them on there. And they go, look at it. And they both start complaining and moaning about me. He said, they've only got to change the channel and I'm gone. Mm. He said, then they watch the whole thing and it winds them up. He said, but they, so they could have clicked over. They could have watched something else. He said, yeah. then they'll get in front of the computer. He said, and they'll write me a letter. Write, send me an email. He said, and I won't reply to it. He said, because they're stupid. Because they only had to click the channel and I'm gone. He said, and if I don't reply to the email, he said, they'll write me a letter and they'll put it in the post. He mm. said, and I get the letter and I put it in the bin. He said, and the reason is, I'm not going to complain. He said, I'm not going to justify my actions to someone who's got the choice not to watch me in the first place. He said, that is stupidity. And he's absolutely right. Yeah. No, that, that is that is right. Because I've seen comments on YouTube videos and things online. People are kicking off about it. And it's like, you don't have to watch it. Don't watch it then. Don't, yeah. don't give it your attention if it's going to affect you like that. I mean, you, you, you can walk down, you can walk through a park and there might be some dog mess there. You can choose to walk around it. You can choose to step in it. But if you choose to step in it, you're going to moan. If you see it, you walk around it. You know, why do people keep stepping into stuff and they're moaning about it? Yeah. Well, that's, that's like, I think, with jobs as well. Like, I know some, I work with some people who've gone, oh, this job's crap. And I'm like, oh, change it. Do, do yeah. something else. Don't, don't go, oh, this job's crap. And I'm still going to go to it, even though it's crap. Don't like it. Well, you've got two choices. If you can't change your environment because you need the money to be in that job, yeah. change your mindset. Yeah, change your mindset about the job until you can afford to leave the job because there's no point being there saying I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it because all the time you're doing that you're toxifying your body yeah I I, mean, I used to work in this bar and I used, I used to re I used to enjoy it at first and then I disliked it and then I really disliked it and I remember like thinking how can I what, what positives can I take from this so I thought well I'm meeting different people each day and I'm a people person. I like people, and I kind of that kind of kept me going because I was meeting different people, you know, mm. and getting to know different people. So that was a motivator for me. Yeah, so it's you, taking something it. from it, isn't it? That's right. And you, you're back to the 400 billion bits of information and the 2,000 that you choose to choose. You know, it's you. You'd find the positive. There's a positive in everything. Mm. You know, I mean, there's there's a great book. Um, that was was written i don't mm. know if you've read it it was by victor frankel called man's search for meaning no 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 right well this guy's his second world war all his family were interned in nazi concentration camps and I died I got it actually my mom, i think my mom read it uh, get it off your mum it's a brilliant book yeah. uh, and and he was in a situation there where he had you know he, he his liberty was taken and he was locked in, in a nazi concentration camp he saw people dying around him uh, and he decided, he, I think he was a psychologist or a psychiatrist or maybe both, and he decided that he was there for a reason. There was a purpose why he was there. He just had to find the purpose. Mm. So his purpose became to help people survive. 
<laughs> and he said, the minute you find purpose in your life, he said, and you can find it in the darkest of places, he said, you can find a meaning uh, and for your existence. Uh, and this guy came out of, concentrate, of the concentration camp and he set up um, a therapy called Logotherapy. And people used to go to him and they go, oh, do you know, I hate my job and I'm really depressed and everything else. And he'd say, right, okay. And he, he wouldn't sit there and talk to them and, and counsel them. Yeah. He would give them practical things to do, like, like go and work in a hospice where people were dying. Yeah. He'd say, if you think you've got problems, go and visit this place. And he'd put things into perspective. Yeah. You know? And the thing about the thing is, is they can take away your liberty. So going back to the person who's, who's got a job they don't like, yeah. they, they're getting paid not to like it. There's a benefit. You know, okay. but they, they can argue that they, they haven't got the, the, the liberty. All right. Well, liberty is a condition of the environment. So if you're in a job you don't like, but you're getting paid to be there and you need the money, you're restricted by the environment because you've got to earn that salary to help to help pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. But that's a restriction of liberty. Yeah. Freedom. All right. If, if you restrict freedom, you're restricting the way someone chooses to think. Now, it doesn't matter where you are. As Viktor Frankl was in three concentration camps, he had the freedom to think as he saw fit and make the best out of any situation. Mm. When, when, if someone's stuck in a job they don't like, but they're not using the freedom of their mind to find the benefits in it, then not only is their liberty restricted, but their freedom is restricted. Mm. And Nelson Mandela was the same. You know, he spent all those years in prison on Robben Island, or Robben Island. You know, he said the same thing. You know. Liberty is a condition of the environment. Freedom is a condition of the mind. He said they can restrict my liberty. He said, but they'll never restrict my freedom. Mm. It's, it's a pretty amazing quotes um, words there, aren't they? When you think of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, if these people can put up with stuff like that, you know, I, I can put up with minimum wage and so I don't earn enough money to start my own business. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I told you I was eighty thousand pound in debt, didn't I? Mm. I borrowed another thirty thousand pound to start my business. Yeah, I, I went to one hundred and ten thousand pounds in debt. Jeez. But when I got, when I got, when I, when I decided that I could do it, when I decided that it was all about the application of my ability to believe in myself mm. and to and to work hard mm. and to actually not give up, I went. I knew I could make it work. So mm. I went to th I went to three separate banks and I borrowed ten thousand pounds from each of the banks. And I started my business. So I wasn't actually eighty thousand pounds in debt. I was one hundred and ten thousand pounds in debt when I started my business. Jesus. Yeah. What, what's the choice? Mm. Either either I just accept the fact I'm I'm in debt and I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna do anything with my life, and I, I get a job doing what I don't want to do, or we take a calculated risk. And I I worked and I, you know I wasn't being rash. I'd worked at all the business plans. I knew what I had to earn per year. I knew what I had to earn per month. I knew what I had to, to earn per day. <laughs> Mm. and you apply that strategy within your plan and you go out and you do it and, and you work hard i mean i used to come home i used to go i sorry i used to go away on a sunday come home on a friday prep on a saturday go away on a sunday and i did that for five years to build a business mm. so it's not just all about positive thinking it's about the application of hard work as well mm. and people don't realize that it takes both you know you've got to have the right mindset but you've also got to have the ability to work hard mm. No, completely. I think that's what I tell. Well, I like watching that program, The Apprentice, um, oh, and they get to the interview stages, and these people got these business plans, 
and they've got all this dream, you know, this dream that they want to do for the business. And then they go, well, where's your, where's your figures? Where's your, where's your costings? And it's like, you've got yeah. no costings, so you, you can't have, you can't have that. You can't have um, X without Z. Like, and they go, well, how much money, you, you know, what are your losses? What, what are you spending? What are you, you know? <laughs> but yeah, you, like I said, you've got to have that, that plan and, Action and have that positive income with it as well to believe it's going to happen. Yeah, you've got to, but you've got to take action. Yeah, and it, take, it takes just as much effort to do massive action as it does to do small action. So you might as well take massive action. Mm. You know, I was in America a couple of years ago working with Sam Jewell as a machine gun preacher, mm. and uh, a guy. I went out on, on a, a truck with a guy. We had, we had to pick some stuff up for this event that we were hosting. And this, this particular guy, he, he was a lovely, lovely man, but he wasn't very well. And I kept saying to him, why don't you do something about it? Why don't you go down to the gym? Why don't you change your diet? And, and he was a very religious guy. And he said, look, he said, God, he said, I trust in God. God will make me better. And I kept saying to him, but you've got to do stuff yourself. You've got to think about what you can do. Mm. And he said, no, I, I, put, I put my trust in God. And I'm not, I'm not knocking religion by a long uh, No, of course, yeah. But I got to the point where I said, look, just pull the truck over by that grass over there. He said, why? I said, oh, well, I just want to talk to you a minute. So he pulled the truck over. And I said, right, you see that grass? Yeah. I said, I want you to come here every day. I said, for the next week, month, whatever you want. I said, and for an hour a day, pray that the grass won't grow. I said, because you believe in God. I said, and I'm pretty sure, you know, God hears you. I said, so I want you to come here and pray every day that the grass won't grow. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me really strange. And he went, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, well, you're putting a lot of faith in God. I said, so if you know, do that, I said, what do you think will happen? He said, well, the grass will grow. I said, why? He said, well, because it's grass. I said, there's another reason. He said, what's that? I said, God doesn't listen to stupid prayers from people that aren't prepared to help themselves. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me, and all of a sudden he got it. Now, I, I'm not a religious person. Mm-hmm. I said, I said, it does say in the Bible that, that you know, God, God will help you. I said, but you've got to take action. You've mm-hmm. got to do stuff. You've got to take responsibility for yourself. And, uh, yeah, the penny dropped. The penny dropped. It was an interesting conversation. Uh, and uh, he's, he started going to the gym and he started changing his diet. And um, he's, he's getting better. You know, he's getting better. Mm-hmm. But you, it's, you can't just have the positive thinking on its own. You've got to take action with it. That's the whole point of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a fundamental part, I think, of... You know, like life, isn't it? You know, you have to take action to get action that you want. Yeah, and if you take action, you'll fail. That's great. Mm. And you know, you know what to improve on next time. If you never fail, how do you know what to improve on? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you think about children at school, right? let's say a child's got to get eighty percent marks in in a, a test to pass the exam. Mm. If that child gets forty percent, they will classify that as a failure. But that child has just proved they were halfway to success. Mm. They take take it again. They might get sixty percent. They could class it as a failure. That child's improved. They're succeeding. Mm. Yeah. Every time you take an action and you learn from it, you're improving. Mm. Yeah. I mean, all all this, I mean, most most millionaires have been bankrupt three times. Yeah. You know, they they, they know what failure is about. Failure is part of the process. Mm. Yeah. So you've got you've got to fail, and you've got to be you've got to be comfortable with that. You know. Fear of failure yeah, is one of, the, one of the biggest phobias out there. People are you know, scared of failing. 
Uh, and, you know, from a therapy point of view, because I'm obviously uh, qualified as a, as a mm. hypnotherapist and everything else. And the other big failure, believe it or not, is fear of success. Yeah. And the two are linked in because they, they fear if they become successful, it'll all go away. Yeah. You know? So you, you, you're hitting yourself on both sides of the head with two large hammers and then wondering why you're not succeeding. Mm. I, I know I know some people who, um, who, who are a bit like that and... Um, got all this potential i'm like you know just, just do it just do it you know and i think it ties into all of that kind of well, stuff. Well, yeah I, I always put this question out to people on, on courses and i say what would you attempt if you knew you couldn't fail and they go yeah. well i'd leave my job and I'd, I'd do this and i'd do that and i'd start a business yeah, okay go and do it and they go be it i could fail and you say we well, don't know because you haven't attempted yet i think and yeah you know, the other question I ask me is, what would you do if you had 12 months left to live? Mm. And then they, they tell you the same thing. Oh, I'd, I'd leave my job. I'd spend more time with my family. I'd go on holidays. I'd do this. I'd do that. I'd learn to dance. I'd learn to play the guitar. All right. Okay. How do you know you haven't? I mean, I, I went out for a walk. I took my dog out for a walk and I went to a pet shop. There, the guy runs it, Tony, lovely bloke. And he was talking to a guy in there that I'd never met before. And I, I only live on a small island, so we know most people. Yeah. And the guy left the shop. And Tony said that that guy there has just come back from the hospital. He went to the doctors for a routine checkup, just a routine wellness checkup. The doctor found something wrong. They rushed him to hospital. He's got vertical cancer in his body. He's got six months left to live. Mm. He didn't know that before he went to the doctors. Yeah. So I say to people, what would you do if you've got 12 months left? And they'd say, I'd, I'd do all these wonderful things. The mm. fact is, we actually don't know. You know, no. we, 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 live our life as though we're going to live forever mm. uh, and then apathy sets in and we get comfortable in in, in uh, what we do and how we do it so we, we don't break those boundaries we don't step outside the box we don't take risks the reality is is, is, is you know you can lead one boring life mm. or you, you can lead a short one where you've had an exceptional life and I know which one I choose mm. uh, what you well, you just mentioned, like, I've, um, I've listened to a guy called Alan Watts. Yeah, Alan Watts. Who, sorry? Alan, Alan Watts, who's a philosopher. Oh, yeah, yeah, Ras, yeah, yeah. He, um, Alan Watts. Spoke you, you, I'm, I'm struggling to hear you, Adam. You're going to all be again. Is it, is it working now? Yeah, it's a bit better. But I, 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 was it Alan, Alan Watts, you said, or Alan Ras? Alan Watts. The, Alan Watts, yeah, yeah. He's brilliant. From, like, 60s or 70s. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he spoke about um, he mentioned in one of his lectures, what if money was no object? You know, how would you live your life? And it's better to have a short life doing what you love than a long life doing something, living in a miserable way. Yeah. And um, it is kind of true, isn't it? I, I show that video on virtually every course I run. Mm. The Alan Watts video. Because it's, it's such a powerful impact. Because it's so true, you know. You know, it, it, it follow, if you follow your passion, and uh, the money will come. Mm. If you if you're just chasing money, then you're not going to follow your passion. Yeah. You've got to do what you love, and you've got to turn that into a business. That's how you make money. Mm. Yeah, and, if, and if you're doing what you love, as you said already, you'll never work a day in your life. But if you're just doing it for the money, that becomes stressful. That becomes a burden, mm -hmm. and then uh, because you know 
I mean, I, I get out of bed some mornings, you know, five o'clock, half past five. I get stuff done if I've got things to do. I'll read, I'll read a book. I'll get on. I still work till you know eight, nine at night. Mm. But it's not, it's not work. I'm enjoying what I do. Now, if I was just doing it because I had to earn money, I'd be burnt out by now. Yeah, and I think it flows more when you enjoy what you do. Um, it's like when I've done like these podcasts, um, coaching with people, um, you know, things that you love and enjoy doing, it just kind of flows and it just kind of whizzes by. Whereas if you're doing something you don't enjoy, you, you, you are, you think you're thinking about your clock watching, you're looking at the clock, you're thinking about time. And I think when you think about time, it kind of, it goes slower. Um, yeah. Cause especially, especially if you don't want to be somewhere. Yeah. If you don't want to, you know, if you're in a position or in a place or in an environment where you don't want to be, time, time is your enemy. It will work against you. When you're doing something you love, time flies. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it whizzes by. Uh, so, yeah, you, you know, I would say to everyone that listens to your podcast, you know, do what you love. Find what you love. Find what makes your heart sing and do that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, one of the things when, when my wife and I, we, we started this business, one of the things we discussed was, you know, what if we fail? What if it doesn't succeed? I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll get a job. I can go and drive a, I'd, I'd drive a taxi, don't bother me. You know, but I didn't want to get to the age I'm at now, actually, which is 60 this year, yeah. and, and look back on my life and go, yeah, but, you know, what if, I, what if I'd have tried? What if I'd have just had a go? Have, you yeah. know, so if, if I didn't do it, I'd be looking back at my life now, probably with a lot of regrets. Mm. So no, you you got to do it, you know, because one day you're going to be sat in a rocking chair looking back on your life. And you're thinking, if if you go back and you think, oh, I, I had the opportunity to try, and my life could have been different. It's that, that's a huge regret. Mm. Just do it, not yeah. yet, but just do it. Like you can feel, always get a job. Yeah, there's always um something out there. There's always a way to solve something. You know, there's always a way around something, isn't there? You'll make, you'll find the way. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, there's always something to do. And, I'm not, and people listening to this might say, yeah, it's all right for you to say, you know, just get a job. There's not many jobs out there. Go create a job. You mm-hmm. know, you know I, I gave someone this advice some, a while ago. They were saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing this and I, I can't, you know, I can't get a job. I said, go and work for free. Yeah. I said, so what do you mean? I said, go and offer your services for free. I said, help them in the, in, in, in the shop. Go in there and, and, and do stuff for them. Tell them you want to work for free. You just want the experience. I said, they're going to get to know you. They're going to get to like you. They're going to, and they're going to get to trust you. And eventually, they're going to give you a job. Mm-hmm. And, he, and they went, well, I've got, why would I work for free? I said, well, you're working for nothing at the moment. Yeah. You know, so go and use your time constructively. And that person was hired. You know, they, they went and worked for, for a couple of months for free. And they did such a good job. They got, they, they got a permanent post. Mm-hmm. There's always a way to do stuff, you know. Yeah, that's, that's like the guy who... Uh... Documents Gary Vaynerchuk's uh, video called it. I don't know if you've heard him mention his name is D Rock. His name's D Rock, right? And uh, the guy who has the camera who videos him and documents him, mm. he's got I think got a few people now, but the, the first original person who does it, he did it for free. And I think he just approached him or emailed him and he said that you know, you know, I'd like to work with you, or, you know, work for free. And he worked for free for I don't know how long, but you know, he, he works from now and he's paid and you know, he still works for him but you know he worked for him for a couple of months for nothing i think yeah and also you know it, it demonstrate how you can add value to people 
I mean, on, on LinkedIn, I, I get people who, who, you know, connect with me on there. And then, then they send me, they, they, they get in touch with me and they say, look, can I send you my CV? I'm looking for a job. And I say, yeah, send me your CV. I said, but I said, what I'm more interested in, and this is the question I ask them. I say, tell me how you can add 20% to my bottom line to justify your salary. Yeah. I said, because you've got to increase my business turnover by a minimum of 20% to justify your salary. So I'm actually not interested in what you, you've done. I'm not interested in your qualifications. I'm interested in what you're going to bring to the table. I'm interested in the productivity that you're going to bring to my table. And interestingly, every time I've asked that question, no one's responded. It gets you thinking about what you... It really gets you thinking. <laughs> it's... Because when you, when you said that question, I was like, yeah, how how could I? It's It's not a simple question to ask but i think you think about it you can you know you can work it out and be like this is how i can't provide well if if you know if someone came to me you know and i mean i'm looking i'm telling you in case anyone's listening and thinking about it i'm actually thinking about slowing down by the way but if someone came to me and said mark i've looked at your business you know i, I can see what you do i've I, you know, got a rough idea what your turnover is i've got an idea that will add 20 or 30 percent to your bottom line by doing this 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 and this and if I do that, will you will you give me this salary, which is less than twenty percent of the bottom line? Mm. Because the thing about having a job, by the way, and this is what people don't realise, is you're only getting paid twenty percent of what you're worth. Mm. And, and the reason is, is when an employer takes someone on, they've got to cover that other eighty percent in things like tax, national insurances, business expenses, mm-hmm. sick leave, mm. all the other things that they have to cater for by employing someone. So they have to have that buffer of money to justify that person's position because of all of the other expenses they have when it comes to employing an individual. So you get paid 20% of what you're actually worth. Okay. So what I'm saying to people is if, if you come to me, show me how you're going to increase my bottom line by 20%, which mm. would validate me taking the risk of employing you. Yeah. Because people don't do it. But if someone came and said, look, I've looked at this and, and we could put this together and that's what the revenue would be. And that's what we need to do. And there's the profit and that profit matched that mark. Why wouldn't I use them? Mm. But I would use them on a subcontracted basis. Mm. Because what, I'm gonna, what I would teach them is how to stand on their own two feet. And then when they've proved that they can do it, so it eliminates the doubt in their mind because they've got me by their side or someone else by their side who's, you know, in, in the company that, 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 to safeguard them, to, to give them the confidence to actually try it, mm. then I'd set them free and say, that's your business. Now go and earn a shitload of money. Mm. That's, that's pretty amazing. Like, um, well, I'm a, I like you. I'm a coach. I'm not a crutch. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the purpose of a coach is to help people get to a point where you can set them free, where they can do it on their own. Mm. If I'm their employer, I'm a crutch. Yeah. And they're going to need me. And the minute you need something for the rest of your life, it becomes an addiction. Mm. And I don't want people addicted to a, to, to a job with me. No. You know, I'll, I'll help them to the point where they can actually have the freedom and the confidence to do it on their own. Mm. So here's, here's what it is. Here's what you need to do. Like, you do it and then like, go from there. Yeah. Because if, they, if they've got the plan and they've got the strategy and they, and they can put that in place with the safeguard of knowing that they're working with an established person like myself, I'm mm-hmm. going to do that. No problem. But I'm not going to employ them. Yeah. You know, 
because it, it, it doesn't, in the long run, do them any favours and it doesn't do me any favours. Mm-hmm. Because what you do the minute you employ someone is you make them comfortable. Yeah. yeah. And I want people who are hungry. Mm. Yeah, that's, why all, all, that's why all the guys, you know, all the people that work with me, they all work with me on a subcontracted basis, but they're all good in their own right and they all run their own businesses. That's what adds value to the table. So they can afford to be who they are when they're running courses with me and they're work, working with me on the courses because they're, they're not going to doff their lid and they're, they're not going to have to you know, say, you know, be something they're not. They've got the freedom to express themselves how they see fit and they all do it very professionally, I must add. You know, it doesn't give them the right to abuse or curse people. Yeah. They're very professionally because they're all successful in their own right. Mm. Yeah, and that adds a lot of value to the course. Yeah. I think that's the difference between your course and a lot of probably other courses and stuff as well. Um, and, you know, it's the people you have on, isn't it, and what they bring to the table. Oh yeah, we, you know we're, I'm fortunate enough to work with some phenomenal people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing some stuff with Ginge, Richard Ginge Johnson at the moment. I mean, Ginge is an absolute gentleman and a lovely guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he spent 13 years in the Special Air Service Regiment. What he doesn't know about close protection and all the other aspects of close protection, you can write in the back of a postage stamp. He's worked in virtually every hostile environment you can think of worldwide, even places the police and the military won't go. Um, but and he provides solutions. He, he is a brilliant guy providing solutions, and and everyone in, C, in close protection knows knows either Ginge or knows of Ginge. Mm. And Ginge and I get on really well. Mm. Um, and we had a conversation, funny enough, this this morning about someone that's approached Ginge to do some work, and they want they want me to to be involved with it as well. And the benefit of this is is because Ginge is his own man, and he, he is he, he's successful in his own right. He doesn't need to do the work. I don't need to do the work. So if we decide to do it, it, we're doing something we want to do. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the client can't dangle a big carrot and say, look, we've got all this money, and if you do it, you know, we'll pay you this much money. It's not about the money. We're back to the first point of the conversation, what motivates us. And with Ginge, like me, it's helping people. Mm-hmm. So you know, can we help them? Is it the right thing to do? Will it give us the freedom to actually do this the right way? And if all those boxes are ticked, you know, We'll do it, yeah, and and that's that's the beauty of, of, of the people I work with at the moment. Yes, yeah, it's, it's great, and it's really really nice that you know you with the work that you're doing and the people you're working with and the things that you're creating and putting out there is like really great. Good. And I think right. Like, All right, buddy. I'm going to have to go in a minute. Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, it's fine. Nice same here. Like you said, it's it's about you know providing something for someone and making that difference to other people, isn't it? And being happy. Yeah, I mean, we we got a, a saying. It sounds like a cliche, but we, we when people train with us, we sort of say you've joined the NFPS family, and it is run like a family on that basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fa- and by the way, a, a, a family sort of system is the best system ever because if you think about it, you get you get respect moving up to the elders. And wisdom coming down, mm. yeah, but none of it's taken for granted, and that's a good thing. And if businesses were run more on a family basis, they'd have much more loyal staff, they'd have much more loyal customers, um, and you wouldn't have all this corporate stuff that you have to dress it up as by trying to make it something it isn't. Because people, at the end of the day, buy from people. Yeah, no, it's it's 
been a been a pleasure uh, talking with you, Mark, and I'm really thankful you for your time and coming on the podcast. Really, means no problem, mate. Absolutely good. That's good to talk to you. And if you if you you know leave me again at some stage in the future, you know, you know reach out. I'll be happy to help. Yeah, of course. Nice shot, Finn. All right, Adam. Take care, buddy. Take care, Mark. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye. Yes, bye. bye.